How are you guys doing tonight? You guys doing good? Who else is coughing in here, huh? Lord help us all. Can I get a, can you do me a favor, Jensen? Can you lift, make this a little bit higher for me? Um, as Tina so eloquently announced, I'm someone that's kind of important. And so the fact that I'm here, you know, you came on the right night. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm playing. Um, I've had the privilege to direct this ministry for about four years now. And uh, pretty much everything that you see, I don't know how much I contributed to it, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, uh, but I was really blessed to be a part of. And so I'm really excited to be here at the Yonsei campus and to preach to you guys. And I believe I have a word that would hopefully encourage, but I think more than encourage, it's going to challenge you guys. Uh, sometimes we need to get challenged. You know what I'm saying? Turn to your neighbor. Say, sometimes you need to be challenged. <clears throat> you guys don't seem excited about being challenged, you know? It's like, yay. You know, there's some, some of my most favorite messages are when I walk away feeling like I just got beat up. You know, I don't know if you guys ever sat through a message like that, but like, I'm like, ow. Like, just every word that's coming out of the preacher's mouth is like, I'm getting just punched and kicked and whipped and I like those kind of messages you know I walk out and yeah I get a little bit beat up but really it's my flesh that's getting beat up but my faith is getting risen up you know and sometimes we need a good beating you know that that's the line you take out of context and I'm gonna be like that pastor anyway um you know my husband uh pastor Christian about maybe like seven years ago he preached a message called Isaac So wait, what are you doing here? Are you just visiting? Oh, yay. <clears throat> it's Isaac, our naughty Santa from Australia. He's one of our students from last semester. He's an amazing guy. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. It's too late. But anyway, about uh, seven years ago, my husband preached a message called singleness and marriage. Now, before you guys get too excited, I'm not going to be preaching on that. But I remember before he preached on the singleness and marriage message, he prefaced it by saying, often when I preach this message, many women in particular all of a sudden find me very attractive <laughs> because they think just because I'm preaching this message, I must be an expert on relationships. And so he said, this is not true. I'm not an expert. However, for many years, I prayed to the Lord, blocked their eyes. But tonight, Father, may your will be done in Jesus' name. I remember when he gave that preface, I kind of butchered it a little bit. It was a little bit more humorous than that. It was at the time when I had a huge crush on my husband. So I was like sitting there and I was like, oh, let your will be done. And then after the message, I was like, oh, heck no. I can't marry nobody in like 20 years. Like there's no way. Um, it was a good word. It was a good word. Some of you guys need that message, but I'll preach that another time. Anyway, in that same way, I want to preface this message by saying just because I'm preaching, it doesn't mean I'm an expert on it. In fact, I'm preaching this message because this is a word that God just like cut to my heart recently about. And it's something that I'm not perfect in, but I'm striving for. And I really thought, man, God, do I wait 10 years until I got this message down before I preach it? Or do I just preach it now, even in my sad state, because I know this is something everybody needs to hear? Well, I chose the latter, and I believe that God wants you guys to hear this word, despite the person who's delivering it. 
and all of my weaknesses and all of my shortcomings, I know that this is something that we all need to hear. You know, we live in a society where appearance is everything. You know, a lot of us, if we really were to look at our lives and the breakdown of our lives, we would understand that we spend a lot of time on the things that are outer. And what I mean by that is not just our hair, which we do. You know, I just went to the salon. I spent like three hours in the salon getting this bad perm. And yes, I'm upset. But I'm okay, you know. Joy of the Lord will forever be with me. But, you know, I spent three hours, you know, looking like an alien, having, you know, clips in my hair. Like, my husband was like, what the heck is going on? And, you know, but it's small price to pay for good hair. Right, ladies? Yeah, see, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, we live in a society where in this country in particular, you attach your photo to your resume. And it may seem like a small deal, but in actuality, you may get hired simply because you have the advantage of the way that you look. That's Korea. It's not like America or North America or Europe is that much better. Your appearance, the way that you put yourself together, it matters in our country. In the countries that all of you guys are from, I'm pretty sure appearance makes a difference. You know, not only does appearance make a difference, but the things that we can kind of proclaim, for example, our college degree, where, which university we graduated from, our work experience, the car that we drive, the house that we live in, all of these things I consider to be outer, and these are things that a lot of judgment is based off of. Who you are, I can take one look at your life and tell you who you are, just by your outer appearance. That's what we think. That's what we say. We look at celebrity gossip magazines and we think to ourselves, oh man, look at their happy lives. Look at their amazing outfits. Look at her awesome body. Look at that marriage with that other hot celebrity. They must be having it all together. We live in a society where appearance means a lot, so much that so much of our time goes towards that. But tonight... I want to talk about not your outer life. I want to talk about your inner life. I want to talk about your private life. I want to talk about what you do and how you spend your time and your money when nobody else is looking. Because I don't know if you guys know, but God is not a God of the outer appearance. In fact, he could care less what you look like. He could care less what you're wearing. But what he's very much interested in is your attitude, your heart, your character, your pursuit of him. You know, when I was in high school, we had a vending machine and, um, you know, with like little snacks. And every day during lunch, I'd, you know, pick up my lunch and I'd always go to the vending machine and I'd get a little side thing. Usually it was candy. But on days where I had like sandwiches, I always wanted potato chips. You guys like potato chips? Well, I love potato chips, specifically potato chips with sandwiches. For some reason, I can't have sandwiches without potato chips. And uh, I always liked Ruffles. It was a brand, and sour cream and onion, okay? And so I would always go to the vending machine, and I would, you know, put the coins in, and it used to be like 25 cents back in the day, and by the time I got to high school, it was like a dollar, which sucks. But you put the four quarters in because the dollars never, you know, they always spit it back out. So I always had quarters, and I get my bag of potato chips. I get so excited. I look at the packaging. It'd be awesome, shiny, glossy. And the moment I open up the bag of chips, I look inside. It's like five chips. I just paid a dollar for like five chips. You guys know what I'm talking about? It looks like it's going to be full, but about like 75% of that bag is air. 
Well, how about this? When you, I don't, YCF, this ministry back in the day was called YCF. We used to, uh, on Christmas have like a, I don't know what you call it, but you all get gifts and then you like, no, you give it, but then you can take it. Oh yeah. White elephant, black elephant, whatever it was, it was, it was, it was bad. You know, it wasn't like the Christmas spirit. You basically get gifts and then you take it from each other. And so the, but you, the, the whole premise of which gift you choose, you put all the gifts in the middle and you get numbers. And if you're number one, you get to choose first, but the whole premise of it is you got to choose the one with the best packaging, obviously. Right. And so you look and I was always really good at this, you know, and you kind of look at, look at the quality of the ribbon, you know, you see if there's any pre-creases from the, the wrapping paper, because you know that means they used it again, which I do all the time. But judging, you know, that other person that did it. You look for the nicest looking package, and hopefully when you open it up, you think it's going to be the most expensive, the most worth your time, most worth your effort kind of gift. What sucks is when you get a really beautifully wrapped gift, you open it up, and it's like soap. You know, it's like the worst possible gift ever. What I used to do when I was in middle school was I would purposely wrap gifts in like crappy packages. I would put like a really expensive sweater in like a cereal box and I would wrap it up in wrapping paper and I had my friends open it up and they'd look at the cereal box and be like, what? And be like, look inside. And they look inside, it's this gorgeous sweater and I'm like, yeah, you know, it like makes that element of surprise that much better. That sweater looks, you know, that much cooler because they thought it was gonna be some terrible present. But the issue with today is it's not about bad packaging and amazing substance. Unfortunately, our problem in society is beautiful packaging and little substance. The problem with many of our lives is we're like that bag of potato chips, glossy on the outside, but filled with air on the inside. You know, I'm reading this book called Ordering Your Private World by an author called, uh, his name is... McDonald, Gordon, is that name? Yeah, Gordon McDonald. It's called Ordering Your Private World. You should all write that down because all of you guys need to pick that up. It's such a, it's a really good book and it's the inspiration for this message. So I want to just lay that down from the beginning because if you read the book, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound familiar. And Gordon McDonald, he pretty much breaks it down into two different levels of our, our world. The first world is our public world. Okay. And our public world is pretty much life on the visible level, on the surface, our looks, our clothes, our education, our degrees, our accomplishments, our awards, any accolades, our possessions, our home, our car, our relational connections, who you know. Even that is public our public world, our job, our work experience. You know, the public world is easier to measure. It's visible and it's expandable. And it's easier to evaluate in terms of success. How successful am I? Well, I made it to this Ivy League school, so I'm pretty successful. I got a 4.0 GPA. I'm pretty successful. You know, I have all these friends, Facebook friends. I have 3,000. I must be popular. That's pretty successful. I look pretty good according to worldly standards, so it's pretty successful. Our public world is pretty easy to measure success. And then we have what he calls our private world. And this is what I really want us to focus on. Our private world, McDonald says, is this. It's more spiritual in nature. 
Here is a center in which choices and values can be determined. It's where solitude and reflection is pursued. It's a place for conducting worship and confession. Basically, my definition of our private world is it's where your character is developed. It's where your belief system is established. It's pretty much the foundation of who you are. That's your private world. It's what you do and how you conduct yourself when no one else is watching. If we were to be very real with ourselves, our behavior might change when people are around and when they're not around. You know, there's a TV show called What Would You Do in the States? And the premise of the show is it's a hidden camera show. And they put people in really tough situations and they kind of see what they would do. For example, there was an episode where they were in the nail salon. And the regular, there's like regular people in the nail salon getting their pedicures. And then there's a father and a 12-year-old, maybe 11-year-old girl getting a pedicure as well. And these two are actors, but no one else knows that they're acting. And the little 11-year-old girl and the father are having this conversation loud enough so that everybody else, all the other uh, people can hear. And this father goes, you know, you need to lose a little weight, right? And this girl is, like, skinny. So already, like, the women getting their manicures and pedicures are, like, (laughs) you know, like, trying not to listen, but they're listening. And he's, like, you know, what you look like is all that matters. And you're gaining a little, what is this? And he pinches her side, and he's, like, listen, honey, daddy needs you to lose at least 10 pounds. This is the only way you're going to make friends. It's the only way you're going to be able to get into a good school. Like he's talking and the women are like, they're, they're like, you know, like whispering to each other and the hidden cameras are watching. What would you do in that situation? And finally one woman busts down. like, excuse me, excuse me, sir. Uh, I don't know. I don't think what you're saying to your daughter is good. I don't think what you're saying is okay, honey. You need to know that you're beautiful just the way that you are. Thank you very much. And the dad's like, excuse me, uh, this is my daughter. You have no right to butt in. And then another lady's like, no, 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 no. No, what you're saying is completely wrong. Honey, you need to know that you're beautiful. And they're like hugging the little girl. And the little girl's like, "Eh." (laughs) you know, like pretending to cry. It's like mad dramatic. And at the end, they begin to interview people. They interview the people that said something. And then they interview people that didn't say anything. And for the people that didn't say anything, they're like, why didn't you say anything? They're like, I don't know. I just felt like. It wasn't my business. There was another scenario where two actors, a man and a woman, are at a bar. And again, they're surrounded by regular people. And the man um, is like flirting with this girl. You could tell that it's their first date, okay? And they're getting to know each other. They're all talking loud enough so that people around them can hear. And the girl's like, okay, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. Be right back. She walks away, and this guy looks around, and he takes a little pill cracks it open and mixes the drink, okay? And he does this. This is an actor that is doing it so that other people can see. And, you you know, the, it's being filmed. So you see the people like, <laughs> you know, and they're all like, what's going on? And, and you, they film to see what people would do. Did you know that some people... Immediately when the women walked back was like, excuse me, honey, he just put something in your drink. You can't drink that. Some. 
Some people just turned away, sad, didn't do anything. Some people didn't wait at all. And while the woman was in the bathroom, confronted the homie and was like, excuse me, I just saw what you just did. Like, what did I just do? No, you just put something in her drink. No, I, I didn't put it. No, sir, I saw you. Excuse me. Excuse me, bartender. Other people, they couldn't be that public, so they whispered to the bartender, excuse me, can you call the cops? That man just put something in that woman's drink, and they would walk out afraid of the confrontation. One person, it was another group of guys, started a conversation with this guy who put the pill in the drink. And this guy said, yeah, man, we're going to go back to my place and have a really good time. And I just kind of gave her a little bit of help. And they all laughed together, high-fived, and celebrated what he just did. Now, these men obviously didn't sign the release form because their faces were blurry. Because obviously you wouldn't want to be that guy on TV. But they had this blurry face, and they still got interviewed. And they're like, excuse me, sir, why would you celebrate what this man just did? And all of them were like, no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. I bet if someone told them, we're on a TV show, it's going to be nationwide, we're going to put you in this situation just to see how you would respond. If some little birdie told them what the scenario was going to be, everybody would have responded a different way. Maybe the people that were a little bit shy and quiet and, and afraid to say anything might have been a little bit bolder. Maybe the person who was high-fiving the dude about date rape you know, would have thought to himself, okay, I can't appear like this, and would have, you know, said something like, that's not okay, that's bad. What would you do? That's the premise of the film. It's the TV show. I, I love watching it because in a weird and not sick way, but in a weird way, I always put myself in their position. And I think in all honesty, what would I have done if I were them? If I didn't think anybody else was watching me, what would I have done? And does it really match up to what I say? Because many of us would be like, oh, what? We would totally stop it. But I wonder. See, our private world is where that gets developed. What we would do in those situations. Our private world is the character that we have. Our private world is the set of beliefs and values that you walk in. Not the ones that you tell people that you have. It's what you actually believe. It's what determines the way that you behave. It's what determines what you do, but motivation can be a little bit different. What's interesting is we think that people who are publicly successful must have their private world in order. You think, man, publicly, they have it all together, which means privately, they must have it all together. A lot of people would think that. People think that so much that that's why we put so much effort into our public worlds. Because if we can have this image, everyone will think it's not just what's public that's good. Everything is good. You know, recently Relevant Magazine posted up an article about Instagram. And the whole article about Instagram was talking about, hey, listen, the reality of Instagram is it's not real. Meaning what you decide to take pictures of and post about your life, it's just a small segment. We can't be jealous about one another's lives because it's not our real lives. It's just what we choose to show. And it's at the angle we want to show it. You know, the other day I wanted to take a picture of the tree and it looked ugly. You know, there was this ugly trash can here and there was, you know, all this here. But I got to adjust the right angle, you know, to make it look good. 
and that, of course, that's the angle that I'm going to put it on. The, the food, I'm really good at taking pictures of food because most of our Instagram is about food. And, you know, you get on the chair and you take a picture up here and you put the orange here. And, you know, you take about 20 minutes setting up your Instagram shot because it's that important to tell everybody that you're eating this great meal. We live in this life where everything on the outside is so important because we want to portray that we have it all together on the inside. But here's the problem with catering to just your public world, your outer world. Like I said, God's not interested in that. He is, but he's not. Let me explain You know, when I was in high school, I got a 92.5 GPA out of 100. For some of you guys, the grade system is a little bit different. But to put it into perspective, I did really well. Okay? And when I was in college, out of a 4.0 GPA, I had a 3.0 GPA, which isn't that great. But hear my explanation. When I was in high school, I found out I got a 92.5 GPA. I was pretty proud of myself. Um, and to other people, it looked like I was a successful student. However, the private world aspect of that grade was I cheated on about 75% of all my exams. I became an expert on writing things very small on little pieces of paper and taping them into inside my leg or, you know, putting them on my palm or whatever it was. I was really good at cheating. And so the way that I got 92.5 was seriously not based on real substance. It wasn't based on real academia. It wasn't based on a disciplined student life. It wasn't based on my studying habits. It was completely based on a fallacy, which was that I cheated. 92.5 GPA was because I procrastinated to the very last moment to study for my exams, to do my work. I never took my time seriously. Majority of my time went to play. About 5% went to study, a.k.a. study notes, a.k.a. cheat sheets. My 3.0 GPA in college, which is not that bad considering that I was doing drugs all throughout college, that was also based on the fact that I was continuing to cheat. In fact, that 3.0 GPA was based on also the fact that I took drugs meant for students who had ADD, but I took them in order to just get through finals. I would take Adderall. I would take these ADD medications and I would, it would make me feel like I could take over the world and I would study my butt off for six hours, take the exam and get a decent grade. You see, the public world doesn't necessarily reflect your private world. That's the point I'm trying to make. And the way, the process that you get to the results, your accomplishments, means more to God than the GPA. The fact that I didn't carry any integrity, the fact that I cheated my way through school, the fact that I didn't manage my time well, the fact that I didn't have character, the fact that I took drugs to do well in school, ironically, all these things added up to when God looked at me, he wasn't looking at 92.5 GPA. He wasn't looking at 3.0 GPA. He was looking, how did you get there? What was going on behind the scenes? Because that's what I'm coming to judge. See, if our public world measures our success, then our private world means the process in which we got there. It's the attitude we carried. It's the motivation we had in our hearts. Some of you guys, yeah, you studied and you did it the right way, but your motivation wasn't one that was pleasing to the Lord. 
Just because you got the 92.5 GPA, but you did it out of your own will, you did it out of your own hard work. These are good things, but your motivation was because you needed to prove to your mom that you weren't the idiot that she said that you were. That's not pleasing to the Lord. How you get to where you are, why you do the things that you do, why you say the things that you do, these are things that matter more to God. That's a sobering thing because if we take a real look at our lives, we would be embarrassed to show one another what was really going on in our head. Maybe that's just an academic approach, but what about spiritually? Let's talk about church. Going to all the church services, never missing a familia, praying loudly at 615 prayer. These are all things that I consider public world. That's great. You're doing all those things. That's awesome. But you have no intentional effort to pursue God in your private world. Having your QTs once in a blue moon, the only time you open up your Bible is actually when I tell you to turn to a page in scripture on Tuesday large groups. There's an amiss that's going on. It doesn't fit. Something's off. Publicly, everything looks like you got it all together. Privately, it looks like you're not even a Christian. Which is the one that God is going to look at? The scary thing is your inner world, your private world is foundational. Meaning this, when your public world goes to sham, your private world and how strong it is, is going to determine whether you fall apart or you don't. Your school grades is not going to keep you from having a depression. Your you know, the way that your hair looks and how it came out at the salon is not going to keep you from having a nervous breakdown or carrying anxiety. The way that you look at yourself in the mirror, the makeup that you put on, the clothes that you choose is not going to determine whether you walk out of that door confident about who you are or completely afraid that people will find out. Your private world is what you stand on. And when your private world has no substance, get ready because things are going to fall apart. This is what I'm trying to get at to you today. Your private world means more than your public world. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying don't care about the public. I'm not saying never Instagram. I'm not saying don't wash up, don't shower, don't get your hair done, don't wear makeup, you know, never wash your clothes, look like a bum every single day. No, 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 no. You got to put all that in order. Some of you guys need to care a little bit more, okay? I'm not saying that, but I am saying that there's an order. And the order is private, public. Our problem is we think public, private. Let me work on the public, and then the private will all work out. But the truth is you got to work on the private, and your public will then display the substance of your private life. I want you guys to turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Um, actually, before we go into that, uh, how many of you guys got a chance to listen to the last message I preached, which was at SNU? Okay, cool. So I preached a message at SNU, and what I was talking about was the passage in the Bible about a young, rich man. And this young, rich man runs to Jesus, gets on his knees, and says, 
teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And long story short, Jesus talks about these commandments, and then he ends up with this. He says, go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. When the young man hears this, he walks away from the teacher sad and upset because Jesus hit it on the nail. Money, possessions, was this man's idol. Now, there's another story in the Bible that parallels this but has a completely different outcome. It's a story of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a short man, and he was so short that when Jesus was coming to the hood and everybody was so excited, the crowds were crowding, and and he knew he would never get to see Jesus because of his small stature. He decides that he was so desperate to see Jesus' face that he would climb up a tree. You can imagine a little small man climbing up a tree, and he looks down at Jesus, and Jesus, walking with so many people around him, looks up at the tree, calls Zacchaeus by his name, And says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to your house to dinner, to eat dinner. And people are like, what is going on? Now, Zacchaeus invites Jesus to dinner. They have dinner. And at the end of this dinner, he looks to Jesus and says, Lord, after everything, this encounter that he has with Jesus, I'm going to I've decided that I'm going to sell half of my possessions and I'm going to give it to the poor. And if there's been anybody that I cheated, I'm going to give them four times the amount in return. Okay. So here are two people completely different on the outside. The young rich man, he had it all together. He was probably a dignified person, esteemed. He had possessions. He had the class. He had the status. He had it all together. But what he didn't have on the inside was the heart to actually obey God, to obey Christ. And here's this other man, short, probably not that good looking. He was a tax collector, which was considered a thief in that time because they were all corrupt in that day. Very low level. In fact, all of the Pharisees judged Jesus for even going to this man's house. It was the same as going to a prostitute's house. They're like, what are you doing with this guy? He was low level. Nobody, everybody despised him. Yet Jesus looked up at the tree and was like, yeah, I want to go to his house for dinner because he saw his heart. His heart was so pure for the Lord that even before Jesus says, hey, maybe you should think about doing something, you know, to lay down your life. He, out of his own accord, says, I'm going to give up the very idol that I've had, which was money. And I'm going to lay it down at your feet. Jesus says, after what Zacchaeus says, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. He looked at that man's actions. He looked at this man's heart and he says, salvation has come. Two completely different people. Publicly, one didn't have it all together. One did. But privately, privately was made, was, is what made the difference between one man walking away sad and one man getting salvation. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, I'll read it for you guys. I'm reading the ESV version. It says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and it was great. And great was the fall of it. Two houses, two storms. One house withstands the storm and stands amidst all of the winds and all of the shaking. The other house falls completely apart. And there is only one difference. And it's interesting because the difference lies in the part of the house that no one can see. It wasn't the door. It wasn't the roof. It wasn't the walls. It was the foundation. When you look at a house, you don't see the foundation. In fact, the foundation should go fairly deep. The deeper the foundation, the higher the building. When you look around Seoul, Korea, and you see these high-rise apartments and high-rise skyline business buildings, the higher it is, the lower the foundation needs to be. If you try to put a high-rise building on a shallow foundation, it will topple over. Here in this same scenario, we're talking about the foundation of two houses, one that was built on rock and one that was built on sand. What was the difference? The one that was built on rock was what? The person who hears the words of God and does them. And the one that built the house on sand was the person that hears the words and does not do them. What you do represents what you believe. You guys understand that, right? The thing is that you do, your behavior, it doesn't get changed by your behavior. It gets changed by what you believe. And here, what this passage is saying is when you hear the word of God and you do them, the difference is that person believed it. Versus the person who heard the word, the word of God and didn't do it is a person who heard it but didn't believe. The difference is faith. The difference is belief. We can sit here and say that we're good Christians, but I wonder, how many of you guys hear the word and actually do what you heard? And how many of you guys clap and say amen and good word and that's amazing, but go out and don't do anything? If you're the latter, you're building your house on sand. And the moment a circumstance happens in your life that's not good, you will fall apart. The way that you determine how strong someone's private world is, is when trials come. Watch how they handle a tough situation. If they fall apart, their private world was weak. If they stay strong, they stay in the faith, they remain in the place of believing that God is with them, then their private world had substance. God never promised when you became a Christian, it would be easy. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is, despite the circumstances that you're going to face, and trust me, it's not going to be easy, thus saith the Lord. He talks about persecution that we will face for our faith. It won't be easy, but the difference is that the person who believes in Christ will be able to withstand whatever persecution, whatever circumstance, whatever situation that may come their way. Why? Because their foundation is built on the rock. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I want to build my house on the rock. (laughs) 
Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I'm going to read the NIV version because I think it sounds a little bit better. It says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The NLT version says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. This passage is very familiar for people who have crushes. Because when you start to like somebody and you tell your small group leader, oh, Pastor Aaron, I like so-and-so, usually you hear, guard your heart. (laughs) David, guard your heart, young man. You better be careful because it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Be careful that you don't like that person. Be careful you don't do anything stupid with that person. Be careful, whatever, whatever. It's always in the context of relationship. Well, let me give you the real context of what this verse actually means. Yeah, guard your heart against relationships. That's great. But the real, I guess, uh, substance of this word, guard your heart, is this. In Hebrew, that word heart is translated into love. And that word love means your inner man. Guard your inner man. It means your mind, your will, your understanding, your inclination, your resolution, your conscience, your determination. So when this person, this uh, Solomon, this Solomon, Solomon, the son of David who wrote the Proverbs, what his intention was, was when he was saying, guard your heart, he was saying, guard your inner world, guard your private world, guard the person that you are when no one else watches, because from that place is the wellspring of life. It's in that place. It's who you are when no one else looks at you. That's what determines how your life, that determines the course of your life. You got to guard your heart. What does it mean to guard your heart? Well, you got to look at the context of Proverbs chapter four. Look at verses 20 to 27. Now I'll read this from the ESV. Why don't you guys read it with me? Proverbs chapter four, verses 20 to 27. Okay, on the count of three, we'll read it together. One, two, three. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. It says this, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them from within your heart. It's just like the two houses. One was heard the words of God and obeyed them. And one was heard the words of God and didn't do them. Well, here in Proverbs, in that same passage where it talks about guard your heart, what guard your heart means is be attentive to my words. Not, don't just pay attention to my words, write them in your heart. Don't let them escape your sight. We need to learn how to guard our hearts. And I don't think that we fight hard enough for this. When you guys get busy, what's the first thing to go? Oh, Emmaus, large group. 
when things get tough, finals, what's the first thing to go? Oh, I can't have my QTs because I got to study. So I don't have time for that. I haven't had any sleep. So reading the Bible and praying, it just doesn't fit into my schedule. Oh, something happened. I have to, you know, go this place. I got to go on this vacation because, you know, it's the only time this school provides a free vacation to Japan. So I'm going to miss the retreat. The first thing to go is often our private world. And our private world specifically in the context of our relationship with God in private. Our private world also means the way that you manage your time. I don't know how well you guys are at with that. It also means whether you have integrity or not. I'm going to be there. You say those words and you're actually there. It means being punctual. What time does it start? Seven. Well, I'll be here at seven. Prayer starts at when? 6.15. Well, you'll see me at 6.15. No, 6.10. These are all things that cater our private world. It's our character. It's our integrity. But I'm talking specifically about your private world in terms of your relationship with God. And honestly, if you examine your lives, I bet that in many of you, it's the first thing to go when things get busy. If this is the very foundation of our lives, why is it the first thing that we get rid of? That's my question to you tonight. If this is what our house is built on, why is it on the lowest pole of our priorities? Why? I'm trying to tell you that it shouldn't be. I'm trying to tell you that if you make it that way, when one thing that happens in your life that isn't right, everything's going to come crashing down. When all of a sudden that internship you've been praying for, the internship that you've been asking God for doesn't go through, now your life is amiss. Why? Because you haven't been stewarding your private world. You've been banking everything on your public world. And when something in your public world doesn't go right, your private world, your public world, everything crashes. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? It's about your obedience to the words. And in the world of our social media, our Instagram, our Facebook, it's so easy to lose grip of reality. It's so easy to take a picture of you and your Bible open and your little feet on the beach and think, oh, let me show everybody that I have this great relationship with God. Meanwhile, that's the first time you've done QTs in three months. Can I be real here? Can I talk to you guys like this? Because I'm trying to get at something that I think the devil is trying to blind our eyes because he knows if he can get us here, if he can get us in our private world, we are easy bait to him whenever something happens. What does your private world look like? What does your inner relationship with God, not the one that's public, I'm talking about the one that's private, what does it really look like? How often are you pursuing God? Do you make time for him? Is it consistent or is it just on a whim? You're a leader. That's great. You hold the mic. Wow, I'm a pastor. And this is something that cut me straight to the heart. I wonder how you're receiving it today. Publicly, you do things right, but what's your motivation? You come to large group, but what for? Is it because you're afraid Tina's going to yell at you because she did last week? Is it because you're familiar all said, you better come. Pastor Aaron's coming to preach and she never comes to preach. Or is it because you're pursuing God and you want to hear a word from him that you know is going to transform your life? What's your motivation? Why are you here? Guess what? It's not just important that you're here. It's why you came. 
It's your attitude when you're sitting in those chairs. It's your attitude while I'm preaching. What's your attitude right now? That matters so much more than you sitting down in the chair. We check the balance of our bank account a lot. I don't know about you guys, but I do. I check my, okay, how much money do I have? Can I afford this meal? I like to eat well, you know, and that becomes a problem. A lot of my money goes to food. I don't know why I just told you guys that, but anyway. And so I check my bank balance and I'm like, well, where am I at? Where am I at? You constantly check the status of your public world. How am I doing? Do I have the latest spring outfits, the the newest trend? I don't know what's trendy right now. How's my hair? How's my skin? How's my teeth? How are my grades? How am I doing in school? How are my friendships? But how many of us are constantly checking the balance of our faith? How's my faith? How's my relationship with God? How strong am I in my faith right now? How often have I been meeting him in my private time? We're so focused on checking the things that other people will see. Well, tonight I want to encourage you guys, let's flip it. Let's begin to put a little bit more of effort in the things that are not seen. Let's begin to shift the order back to its rightful place where private is first and begin to put our concern, our time, our energy, and what most people will never know about us. Why? Because that matters most to the Lord. You want to talk about public versus private? Let's talk about Pharisees. Let's talk about the people that Jesus looked at and said, you brood of vipers. That's pretty harsh. Jesus is a nice guy, but he wasn't that nice to the Pharisees. In fact, he loathed them. He despised them. Why? Because they represented exactly what I'm preaching. Everything is all good on the outside, but they had no substance on the inside. Oh, they fasted outwardly and they looked pitiful doing it too because everyone needed to know that they fasted. Oh, they prayed. Oh, they read the scrolls. Oh, they read, they did this and they did that. They went to temple. They did everything that they needed to do. But when it was Sabbath and someone was sick and Jesus healed them, the first thing they did was complain. Why would you heal this man? It's Sabbath. Don't you know you just broke the law? She's like, what? This man is sick. They missed the heart. These are people who put public before private. You and I have the temptation and the possibility of being pharisaical ourselves. I need you guys to know that. And the only way that we can overcome that is understanding that the Holy Spirit is within us to empower us to bring our private world back to its rightful place. Again, I'm not saying that public is bad. I'm not saying that public is wrong. I'm just saying it's not the most important. You know, order is really an important thing. You guys ever eat kap lamian? You know, in kap lamian, it's not that difficult, but there are some basic instructions with kap lamian, okay? Number one, you peel back the lid, but you can't peel it all the way because you're going to ruin it, all right? You got to look at the dotted line, okay? And you got to peel it back right to the dotted line. Number two, you got to take hot water, okay? It can't be cold. It can't be lukewarm. It's got to be hot, and you got to fill it in. Not to the top, not to the low. You got to do it right in that little indent, okay? Right there. Number three, you got to close that lid back up. Number four, you got to put something on top of that lid. That's a trick they don't tell you, but you should do, okay? They, they don't tell you that part, but you got to put something on top of it to secure the cooking, okay? There's an order to cooking cup lamyun. All steps are absolutely necessary. All steps are very important. But if you pour hot water on a lid that's closed, you're going to get a mess. You understand what I'm saying? 
If you begin to put the Bible, oh, I put my Bible on top of cup. It's so bad. Totally, totally. I'm purifying my lamian. But if you put some object on top of, you know what I mean? The cup lamian, and then you pour the hot water. You know what I'm saying? If you put these steps all out of order, you're not going to get a good cup lamian. You're going to get a mess. But all these steps are important. But when you do them is just as important. Your private life, your public life, both important. If your private life is holy, but your public life is a mess, that's not good either. But I'm talking about both being in conjunction to God's word. However, in order to do that, the order is private first, public later. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say private first, public later. Yeah, say that with more conviction and Unction, go private first, public later. (laughs) So my message is this. We got to guard our hearts. And what I mean by that is we got to fight for our private worlds. Meaning we can't let it just slip through our hands because most of us, it's not intentional. We're, tr- we're not trying. We're not looking at our day and saying, God, I want to intentionally ignore you today. You know, God, I want to intentionally not do my QT. Most of us are saying, God, okay, I'm going to do it later. Tonight, before I go to sleep, I'll definitely do it. We, we have intentions to steward this private world of ours, but a lot of times we fail miserably because we don't make it in a priority. So I'm not saying that we're all evil sitting here. What's wrong with you? You know, all you care about is the public appearance, not the private. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we got to get strategic. And we got to guard our private world. We got to guard our hearts. You know, if President Obama came to visit us today, And he walked in this room. He's going to come with some security detail. All right. Not only that, they would have come in advance to look at all the exit signs. They would have realized, okay, what are the weak areas of this room? What are some areas someone can come and bomb? I don't know. (laughs) President Obama in the head. I don't know how it would work in this room or, you know, what are areas? I don't know if you guys heard about the Boston incident, which is crazy. But two bombs exploded as soon as the, the Boston Marathon was coming It wasn't really coming to an end. It was about the middle of the marathon, but people were finishing, crossing the finish line, and two bombs exploded. And about two people died so far, and over 100 people got injured. Many got amputated, limbs got, you know, destroyed because the bombs had shrapnel in it. So when the bombs exploded, nails, pieces of metal, pieces of glass exploded, and that's what got into people's bodies. Anyway, here in this, you know, public bombing, Uh, They were explaining it on the news because people were complaining. We have to be more secure at these public events. And they were saying, you know, it's not easy. It's really hard to secure every aspect of it. But they were saying if President Obama was at this event, what they would have done was security guards would have come in advance. They would have checked every, uh, what do you call those, sewage? Yeah, manholes. They would have checked every manhole. They would have secured it down so that nobody could come up. They would have checked every building, secured each building, put a security detail in each place. Like because President Obama is the president, they would have went above and beyond ordinary precautions because his life is that important. What I'm telling you tonight is let's have that attitude with our private worlds. When we talk about our relationship with God, we need to put a lockdown on certain things. We need to start securing the areas where we know we get weak. I don't know about you guys, but when time becomes a little bit about 11 p.m., I start making poor choices. Okay, when 11 p.m. hits, I start eating things I know I shouldn't be eating. I start getting on the Internet. Instead of having conversations with my husband, I'm on my Internet. He's on his Internet. You know what I mean? Like we forget that we're married. We're sitting next to each other, but we're not talking. 
you know, but we are commenting on each other's Facebook statuses and, you know, but there's no substance in our relationship that's going on. 11 PM comes and, you know, you start making wrong decisions. Some of you guys start getting tempted, you know, to, to do things, to go out, to, to do things that, you know, you committed that you wouldn't do. If that's the situation, you got to go on security lockdown Obama style. You know what I'm saying? You got to start putting precautions and understanding, okay, this is the time where I feel weak in my faith. So this is the time I got to put extra security detail. At 11 p.m., I'm going to tell my husband to tell me, close your computer. And I'm going to tell him to encourage me, this is the time. If 11 o'clock is the time where I start weakening in my, you know, my integrity, then I'm, this is the time where I'm going to pray. This is a time where I'm going to read a, a book that's beneficial to my life. You know what I'm saying? When 11 o'clock comes, I try to pick up a book. This is when I'm reading the book that I'm reading now. And I try to close every other area of weakness that I know impacts me. 11 o'clock comes and I know I can't watch TV anymore because shady things come on TV or dramas come on and dramas mess me up. I start picking fights with my husband because I think that's love, you know? Ah! supposed to grab my arm and pull me towards you and then forcefully kiss me because that's love yeah okay forceful kisses are not love by the way you know but we gotta put we gotta look and examine our lives I want you guys to think about the area your relationship with God I want you to think about you know the times you actually read the Bible the times that you pray and then I want you to think about the times where you feel weak in your faith I want you to think about the times where you start messing up the times where you start texting people you shouldn't be texting or, you know, going out when you shouldn't be going out, whatever it may be. I want you to start organizing, looking at it, examining your life, examining your private world. And then I want you to guard it. I want you to go Obama style on that joint. And I want you to begin to set up security detail, not out of fear, but out of wisdom. It's not like, oh, no, I'm going to mess up at 11 p.m. You know, all hell breaks loose and I'm going to start sinning. No, it's just wisdom. 11 p.m., I get tired. And when I'm tired, I don't think straight. For some of you guys, it's the morning. For some of you guys, it's the afternoon. Whatever it may be, I need you guys to examine your lives and secure it. Another way that I mean by securing your private world is don't just tell yourself intentionally, you know, oh, I'll do my QT. It's not about just having that desire. It's about planning it. It's about planning it in advance and making it a non-negotiable. It's about saying 10 o'clock, God, me and you, we got a date. And when 10 o'clock comes and your cell phone starts ringing, you turn it off and you say, listen, I'm busy right now. You know, if I'm sitting down with my mom and someone starts, if I'm in the States and I'm sitting down with my mom, I don't get to see her that often. And the phone starts ringing. I'm not going to pick up the phone. You know what I mean? I'm going to stay and have a conversation with my mom. If I, if some celebrity were supposed to come here, if, you know, G dragon from big bang comes up in here and he starts striking conversation because he knows I'm cool. And we start talking and all of a sudden my phone starts ringing. I'm not going to be like, Oh, excuse me, G dragon. You know, let me take this phone call about nothing, you know, about like what I'm going to wear today and interrupt my time with you. No. Well, how much more should we secure our time with the Lord? It's like we get a, 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 someone liked your photo and all of a sudden you got to check which photo. Oh, which photo did they like? Okay. It was this one. Yeah. I like that photo too. What? How did that just happen? We were just in Psalms and now all of a sudden you're on Facebook and then you got distracted because now you're looking at someone else's photo. Like it's crazy how unprotected we leave the most important time of our day. 
it's crazy how it's just open space. It's like bringing Pre- President Obama in, like, you know, the middle of the city with no security detail. So many places where he can get shot up, you know, and thinking, that, yeah, you're the mo- one of the most important men of the United States, and I'm going to bring you out here. Of course that makes complete sense. No. No, you got to guard your time with the Lord. You got to guard your time with the Lord. You got to prepare in advance, just like the security detail would probably come three, a week in advance to check out every aspect of this place. It's planning in advance during this time, during this time of day, this is when I'm going to meet you non-negotiable. No matter what people say, no matter what people do, I'm guarding this time with you, God. Nobody can mess with it. Have you guys ever had a serious conversation with a friend where you're like really sharing your heart and they start looking at their phone? And it's like, you know, and then, and then my mom came in and she went crazy on me. And, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, no, that sucks. Yeah, really? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, our utmost attention is the lowest requirement. It's not the highest requi- it's not the highest standard. God is saying this is bare minimum, 100% of your attention. That's how you walk in my presence, 100% of my attention. It's time we guard our private worlds. Amen. God wants your house to be steady. He wants it so that even when certain things happen, like you lose your passport, you lose your wallet, you fail your, your final exam, the classes that you thought you were going to get credit for here in Yonsei, don't, you're not going to get credit. When you find out certain things, someone passes away. You know, you break a leg. Something happens to your world. He wants you to be in a position where your private world is so steady, it's so secure that it can't affect you. It won't touch you. It won't destroy you. That's his heart. That's his desire. It's that we have everything in order, not for perfection, but because he wants us to thrive in every situation. I want you guys to just close your eyes. You know, when I mentioned the um, potato chip bag example, I guess I'd like for you guys to imagine if your relationship with God, if your faith with God was measured in potato chips, how much potato chips would be in your bag? Do you have one broken brown chip? Or is your bag filled to the top? Or is it a lot of air? It looks full on the outside, but there's really no substance on the inside. What does your life look like when no one else is watching? If someone were to tell you, hey, guess what? I just filmed your past week. Every single moment of your day we filmed for seven days, would you be excited for people to watch it? Or would you be ashamed? Would you be nervous? 
how much of what you say is actually based on what you do? Is your public confession in reality the way that you live your life? These are all questions that are really difficult to answer. And I know when God started to speak to me about these very things, I seriously broke down. As a pastor, I'm supposed to have it all together, huh? I'm up here preaching on the matter. I'm a public figure. People are curious about my lifestyle. They're curious about what I do to the day-to-day. But if I were to be completely honest with you guys, if my week would have been filmed, I would have been embarrassed. Why? Because I know that my private world, I haven't been paying enough attention. I've been more concerned about what I look like to people rather than what my heart attitude is to God. And just like God invited me to repent, he invited me to lay it all down. Not just to feel sorry about it, but to believe that there's a power inside of me to actually bring change in my life. I want to give that invitation to you guys today. And just keep your eyes closed. If you know that your private world sounds more like sand than it does rock, and today you want to bring change to that, you want to bring a fresh commitment, God, I want to put this back into the order you've always ordained it to be. If that's your heart and that's your desire, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, I want you to just stand to your feet right now. us to all just begin to pray out loud, whether you're sitting and you're confident or whether you're standing and this is something that's really convicting your heart. I want you to begin to all of us open our mouths and let's begin to do the one thing that has power in this situation. That's repent. See, repentance we think is a sign of weakness when in reality, repentance is one of the most powerful things that we're capable of doing. Repentance is not weak, it's strength. It's accessing the very power of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you repent, you're not saying, God, I'm sorry. You're saying, God, I'm sorry, but I believe you can change me. That's repentance. If you're standing up there sorry, but you don't believe God can change you, that's not repentance. It comes with faith. It comes with turning. And I want us to all begin to repent together. God, my private world has not matched up with my public one. And I want that to change. And begin to confess what's been taking up that space. Begin to confess the air in your potato chip bag. What is the the substance that you're trying to portray but that you don't have? Just begin to speak that out loud. So let's just begin to pray for those of you that are sitting. Let's join those that are standing and let's just all pray together. 
Come on, let's pray.